Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. So I'm going to ask Brad and Mark to come up. They're going to be talking. We're going to be talking about natural dads and spiritual dads. And uh, let me intro Brad first. We sent Brad out. Was it ten years ago, Brad? Almost nine. Nine years ago, we had a really big argument in the church. <laughs> No, we didn't. Uh, we just sensed the call of God on Brad and Amy and, um, yeah, Mark, yeah, talked to the Central Coast people and Brad and Amy ended up taking a church on the Central Coast, Thrive Church, which is thriving. And if you ever move to the Central Coast, that is the church to go to. But Brad has done a really good journey. Stayed, we've stayed close and really connected and been a spiritual son. When he's needed advice, been able to talk to Mark, and we've learnt a lot from Brad and Amy, and I'm really, really proud of them. And then we've got Mark. Mark's senior pastor of this church for 31 years, and uh, been an apostle, sent out about 12 couples to take churches and plant churches, and been a great spiritual dad, and actually been a great spiritual son. So we're going to talk, be talking about those things tonight. You ready? Good. All right. Worst, um, what's your best dad joke? Um, just a shout out to all the single mums and dads. Too. Yeah, good. Well done, because you're doing both jobs. Um, dad joke. A Greek guy who had a farm in Tassie wanted to cook a special uh, dinner for his kids that they'd never had before, and he needed a sheep's head to do it. So he went to the butcher, and when it's his turn, he says, you got a sheep's head? And the butcher said, no, it's just the way I brush my hair. Okay, that got about a four out of ten laughs. Oh, we're giving it can, two. See if you can go. <laughs> well, the thing with dad jokes is it makes you groan, not laugh, right? That's it. So, and my dad jokes this morning weren't approved by Amy, so my really dad, dad daggy joke is, so you heard about the new restaurant on the moon? It's great food, but no atmosphere. Ah, uh, <laughs> really bad. <laughs> okay, the groan, we got more groan for yours, I think. So that's <laughs> all right. So tell us how many kids you've each got, and which kids your favourite, and um, yeah, a challenge and a highlight of fathering. I'm not going to answer the favourite question, but yeah. I have, my two daughters are here tonight. I've got Savannah, who's Woo-hoo! twelve, and uh, Willow is eight. They're very different. Um, and so, yeah, with two, two children. I think the biggest challenge, I live in a house full of girls, so the biggest challenge is managing emotions. So I'm the only guy, so that would be the biggest challenge, I think. Uh, no, I think seriously, I think the biggest challenge, and look, I, I'm no expert to parenting, I think it's learning how to parent them in a way that guides and shapes them into who they're meant to be rather than crush who they are. So. I've definitely made mistakes at times where I've put expectations upon them that perhaps even God hasn't putting on them. So I want to guide and shape, but I don't want to crush who they are. So that's probably the biggest challenge of being a dad. Very good. Um, challenge for me, I think adjusting to the different personalities because you, you have one child and you think you figure it out and all your kids will be the same, but they're completely different personalities so you can have the same situation and have to treat it completely differently. So... Um, I found that a challenge. Did you want a victory too, or, or what's good? Were you going to ask that? No, we've got three kids. We'll just tell them that we've got three oh, kids. Oh, okay, we've got three kids. <laughs> um, I don't even know their ages, so I wrote it down. Beck uh, is 34, 
and her and her husband are New South Wales Youth Alive directors. Dan is 32, married to Liz, and they have a little girl, Lola. Um, and they actually run Schools of Light, uh, which is a missions organisation. And Elle is 28, becoming a clinical psychologist. And Beck and Matt have a little boy named Jack. Good. And highlight? Highlight for me is I just love family gatherings. And our family gatherings are really raucous, really noisy, funny. We pay out on each other. But then at the end of the night, we all encourage each other. And uh, I just I really like it. Mm. What about you, Brad? Highlight? love the fact that right now I'm the number one guy in their lives. So dad is like the only man in their life and no one tops dad. That's not going to last forever, I know, but I love that. Uh, no, I think what I love most is I just love being a dad. I felt like becoming a dad has just brought out the best in me. Um, it's brought out more compassion, more kindness, more wisdom. So, yeah, I would just say the whole thing, being a dad would be the greatest honour I do. Out of anything else, if I can be a good dad, I feel like I've, I've done something well. You are both very good dads. Um, talk to us about your own dads, um, disappointments you've had with your dads and how you've had to process, work through that. Uh, so growing up, I didn't have a good relationship with my own dad. So, so my dad battled a lot, of, uh, a lot of personal demons in his life. He had a very abusive upbringing himself. He came out of an Irish family. Um, so my dad grew up with a lot, of, um, a lot of abuse in his home, a lot of dysfunction. And so he carried that over into our family. So my dad was very distant emotionally. Uh, I was very scared of my dad. He was a real authoritarian figure. Um, he drank a lot. He was a scary guy, very, very smart man. But uh, he was someone to be afraid of, someone to be scared of. And so he, I could see the wrestle. I could see at times he didn't want to be that person. But he really didn't know how to be a father himself because it wasn't modelled to him. So he's very authoritarian in a lot of ways. But he was someone uh, not, not to mess around with. So very smart. So we weren't close growing up. Um, he was a good provider. He was a very good provider, very good, clever, very clever man. Um, but for me, I was pretty much the target of a lot of his frustration. So his own father rejected him as a son. And there seemed to be a pattern in our family heritage where the father rejects the son. So there was a lot of rejection growing up. I could never feel like I could measure up to my dad. Um, all I wanted to do was make my dad proud of me, but he just um, never seemed to be happy. And he may well have been, but he didn't know how to articulate that. So, so we weren't close. Um, yeah, it was difficult, I would say. Yeah. Um, is, is he still alive? You... He is, and uh, he's a different person now. It's funny how grandkids yeah. have brought out yeah. the, the best in him. And look, to be honest, I was able to process a lot of that because... Um, before I got saved, I was very quite judgmental and resentful and thinking, how could a father be like that? Uh, until I got saved and got a much broader understanding of the brokenness of humanity. And really, he, he never gave his heart to Christ, so he never found his own healing. And so now, really, my heart is actually one of compassion towards him. He's still very closed off emotionally. Um, but there's no, there's no resentment, there's no anger, but he's very hard to connect with. So every conversation is very surface level. We talk about the sport and weather. It's about as deep as we go. Do you still get disappointed? Like, do you still hope for connection or...? I do, and I think we might talk about that in our interview later on. God fills the gap and brings great spiritual dads around. I think an example would be we bought our first house in March, and, uh, which was a you know, huge thing for us as a family. But my dad wasn't involved in any part of the process in terms of the advice or help or anything like that. And I grieved for a moment because I thought, this would be something, you as a dad, this is, could be something, could be quite special. So he wasn't there in that. Um, so it was more sadness than anything else. 
What about you, Mark? Disappointment. Um, mm. My dad was hard-working and tough. He got the three big rocks right, um, believed in God, went to church and faithful in his marriage, so I'm really grateful for that. His mum committed suicide when he was 13 and it sort of it screwed him up a bit and fair bit because she tried to kill him as well. Um, and he worked in the he was brought up in outback Queensland and worked in sheep shearing stations. So it was a pretty hard life. So for me, it was very much don't you ever get a big head, keep your feet on the ground. And I used to think that was really harsh, but I'm pretty grateful for it now because I've seen a lot of friends in ministry go off the rails, and uh, and I'm an encourager because as a Christian, I wanted to do the opposite to how I'd been fostered like that, but. Um, it doesn't always work that way. I've, I've found with encouragement, even though I thought it was, you know, the answer to everything, it actually does give some people a big head. They believe their own publicity and you can't teach them anything because they think they know everything. So in my, I'm 68 now and I'm just starting to think, maybe my dad was more right than I thought he was, um, which is kind of interesting. The interesting thing in our journey was... Even though we already believed in God, I actually got to lead him in a personal relationship with Christ, which made a real difference, and he began to soften, and I had this hope of one day being really close. We never got it, even though he died at 98, but what we did get was I got to be his carer in his latter years, and we became, um, I wouldn't say close, because I was, I was looking for that emotional closeness, but it, it, I don't think he knew how to do it. But we did love each other, and I found that out through Craig Wellings, who's one of my friends, and my dad loved Craig. I was the only friend I had that he ever liked, but he loved Craig, and he'd always tell Craig what a great bloke I was, but he never told me. So it's just funny, isn't it? And, you know, in uh, giftings, sorry, in love languages, I like affirmation, and that was my dad's lowest. And he liked to give love through acts of service. That was his highest, but that was my... Lowest. So I look back and I thought he didn't love me, but he was always doing things for me. Um, but it was just kind of, kind of the wrong language for me to understand and feel loved. So I was pretty harsh with him as a teenager and then for a few decades. So as I've gotten older and, we, and you know, when I was looking after him, I just let the softness come through and hugged him once. I'd never been hugged by him and I hugged him once and he just sort of melted in my arms and God, the Holy Spirit said to me, you go and hug your dad. I go, I'm the son, he has to hug me, I don't, I'm not doing that. So I held off for about three years and eventually I surrendered to God and, and gave him the hug and he just sort of melted, it melted in my arms, yeah. Mm. Uh, psychologists say that we get 50% of our identity and self-esteem from our mums and 80% of our identity and self-esteem from our dads. Mm. So um, tell us how you, your, your dad relationship with your dad shaped your identity and what things have you had to unlearn, like what labels or what um, attitudes have you had to unlearn so you can find out who you are and get a good sense of self? Right. Um, I would say that to, to look over performance mentality, so I grew up with, uh, if you're doing everything right and you're achieving well, getting great grades and perfect behaviour and not messing up, therefore you were a success. So to be very careful, uh, let me say it this way, I had to undo that thinking when I took that into my relationship with God, the belief that somehow if I was doing everything right, God would be pleased. And as long as I kept a measure or a standard I thought God was looking for, he'd be happy. 
And so you, the way to measure what you really believe about God is your, your thought towards God's presence when you mess up. That, 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 that really shapes what you really believe about God, what you think God thinks about you in your worst moment. So what I had to let go of was the idea that I can't run to God in my mess, that somehow I've got to atone for or account for it myself and do better things and then God will accept me. So that took a long time to undo. I would say only in the last decade I probably got, got, got free of that. So that shaped a lot of identity, perfectionism, performance, and a feeling of not good enough. And so how did you work through that and shake that off with God? Like, what did that look like for you? Twofold. One, spiritual fathers. And I think we're going to talk about spiritual fathering. Spiritual fathers. So God will fill the gap. Um, so great spiritual fathers, the Ivan Paulins, the Mark Zares, there are others that, are, that model to you what you didn't receive from your own natural biological father. So a lot of that, a lot of healing came through sitting under Pastor Mark and an encounter with the love of the Father through the Holy Spirit. Um, teaching will help, but, it's, but it, nothing replaces an encounter with the love of God, which I believe is when we say we encounter the Holy Spirit, what really is happening is an encounter with the Father's love. And also being aware, being aware of your wrong belief and the theology right. of who God is. That, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Identity... Um, I, kind of, I wouldn't say I rebelled as a teenager, but I just had this harsh, judgmental edge because I didn't feel safe or accepted. And um, for a couple of years, I even carried a knife around as a young teenager because I didn't feel safe. But it was a really dumb thing to do. You know, it's like live by the sword, die by the sword. And it almost got me into bad trouble a few times where I could have died. And so I gave that up. I thought that, that was a dumb idea. But I had this harsh edge, and so that was an identity that, that God needed to change and I married someone who was very passive so I had to learn how to go from aggressive down to assertive because assertive is good to be able to express your opinion you know and, and draw a boundary and be who you are so assertive is good so I had to come down to assertive but then help Roz come up to assertive and instead of being aggressive with her make her feel safe so that she was game to step out and, and come up assertive. So now we're both really assertive so we can have a really good fight and still get on the next day. It's amazing. <laughs> My dad never raised his voice so, and your dad was really aggressive. So when Mark raised his voice the first time I went, ah, that's it, our marriage is finished. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know what to do with anyone that raised their voice. But um, yeah, our dads have so much effect on us. Um, so the Bible says an interesting, a challenging command to honour our father and mother and then it will go well with us. But so many of us have dysfunctional fathers. In fact, they say this is the fatherless generation. So how do we honour a dad who's either been absent or dysfunctional? Now you go first. I, I can't remember my answer. Go on. Uh, it's an act of worship. So it's obedience. You don't wait to feel it. That's what I've come to realise. If you wait to feel it, and to feel the emotion, you'll never do it. Because particularly if, if you've had a, an experience with a dad or an authority figure that was a source of pain, it may never feel right. So you do it out of, your, out of an act of worship to God. And here's what happens when you do it. Because remember, you're, you're honouring their position, not their character. Once I realised that, it's not, it's not an honouring of the character of the person. You're honouring their position as dad. God birthed you through that lineage. And once you do that, once you make it intention of the will to do it, and it's a supernatural thing that happens, 
something supernatural does take place. It's like the resentment gets healed, the, the hate goes very hard. Even, even when you have unforgiveness towards a person, or you, the, the best thing you can do if you want to get free of that is pray for them. Very hard to stay angry at someone you're praying for. So it, for the way I see it is it's a, it's, it's a decision. God, I'm, I'm honoring this person in my life, this, this, this figure in my life as an act of worship to you. I'm not going to wait to feel it. I'm going to do it out of obedience to you. That, that's the way I see it. Very important to, to work through this and process this. And most of us have to yeah, forgive our parents for things and step into honour. Yeah, go on, Mark. That's a great answer. Thank you. Um, I, I wrote, we've got to recognise, because we all expect our dads to be like God, and they're not, and they just can't measure up to it. And my kids will have stuff that they're ticked off with me about um, that we have to work through. You have to recognise that dads are tough, overbearing, rough, insensitive... And they're not always like Santa Claus. And um, when you become a dad, you'll find out the same thing. Difficult thing, walking around with testosterone in your body, isn't it? Just causes a few things. Um, But you can just choose to honour regardless of whether they deserve it or not. And it took me quite a few years to work that through, maybe five to ten years to get a hold of that. But I I just wanted to read, there's a scripture in Samuel, and I love this because it's like a two-way respect thing. David's near death and he remembers back and one of his favourite memories is when one of his mighty or two of his mighty warriors says, David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem had been taken possession of by the enemy at that stage. And it says this, so the Three, sorry, three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David at risk of their own lives. But he was so touched, he refused to drink it and instead poured it out before the Lord and he said, far be it from me, Lord, to do this. It is, is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives and David would not drink it and such were the exploits of his men. So you can see this beautiful two-way respect there that I like and I, I sent uh, my spiritual dad Kevin Brett who raised me into the ministry in a church on the central coast so every father's day I sent him a message and, and today's one was thank you for believing in me when I was really hard to believe in because he sort of got a hold of me when <laughs> I, I wasn't doing well um, so yeah you can you can just choose to do it and you have to learn to do it in small ways and not be good at it at first something's worth doing it's worth doing poorly until you learn to do it well so have a go because it does make a difference and it changes lives um i just wrote this you spend a lot of time thinking you don't need your dads but you do especially in war when you when you're in a really big hassle you know, with someone or something or work or your organisation, in war, in responsibility, when you step up to take a position that's got a lot of responsibility on it, you, you just need them in your life. And if you, your natural dad's no good at that, you can find spiritual dads. Um, and uh, where is it? In war, in responsibility. And most of all, when you failed. I always found my dad as tough as I was... If I went to him when I'd failed badly, he was very good. He was very good. If I had success, he'd tell me how hopeless I was because he didn't want me to get a big head. But in failure, he was, he was very good. Very good. Um, talking about spiritual dads then, 
Um, Brad, you were raised, you got saved in this church and raised into ministry in this church. So Mark became your spiritual dad. How important was it for you having a spiritual dad and what did it mean to you? I wouldn't have worked any other way. So having an orphan spirit, I'm going to talk about the orphan heart a little bit later on, I don't think I could have survived or thrived in any other church. And I would argue most of the pastors described in the New Testament were spiritual fathers. That's a message for another day, but I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm convinced the Bible talks about that. But listen, the greatest need on planet Earth is fathering. The curse of our generation is fatherlessness. And I honestly believe that right now, when we talk about the next move of God that's happening across the earth, will be a raising up of spiritual fathers. Malachi 4 talks about that, 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 that unless they're raised up, there'll be a curse that remains on the earth. That's the curse of fatherlessness empowered by the orphan spirit. Um, but a spiritual father, and I'm sitting next to one of the greatest, and you're under a great, and I mean that sincerely. But a spiritual father is someone, let me just read this, because I want to make sure you hear it right, is someone who cares for you, imparts to you love, identity and spiritual covering um, a spiritual father is someone who prays for you and is concerned for your well-being a true spiritual dad is more motivated by your success than theirs wow, very good. that's a real spiritual very, dad very a, a spiritual father helps you access your inheritance in christ they impart to you blessing purpose and identity so that you see this gift they are to the body um, and they're rare. Paul said there's not many fathers, lots of fathers. And I think the greatest churches will be led by spiritual fathers. That's a different thought for another time. But in return, as a spiritual son and daughter, we love, honor, serve, and care and learn how to be a good son. Mm. So that's, I've tried to be a good son. I'm certainly you imperfect. Um, you have been. And when I do that, when I honor you and be a good son to you, there's something, this exchange that happens where you impart grace blessing so I'll pick up the phone and I'll ring Mark I, I rang you what 10 days ago about mm. a big decision in church mm. and I wasn't asking Mark to give me the answer but I just knew I had to talk to dad mm. and so I'll just have a conversation and, and often I'll get the answer and it's not that he said the answer but something is imparted mm. because I've accessed and tapping into a spiritual mm. dad mm. Um, does that make sense oh, that, so I brilliant. could say a lot more on it but it's it's critical brilliant can I ask Brad does it do you become a, can you become a spiritual dad at 40 or at 25 or uh, because looking across yeah. all these great guys they don't have to wait till they're they're yeah. older do they i th i think the early you can because you can be 25 and spiritually be a spiritual dad to a 15 year old well i had so this dilemma this morning that. because i was like i'm going to pray for spiritual dads in my church and i thought what age do i call out uh, uh, uh. And what I realise, it's connected to maturity. I think, I think fathering is related to spiritual maturity. So the quicker you mature in Christ, I think the quicker you step into that anointing. So I think that's how it goes. So I think it's not an age thing, but a maturity thing. And not everyone steps into it, do they? No. Not all men and women step into being spiritual mums and dads. No. Mark, talk to us about, the Bible says that there's many teachers, many instructors, but not many fathers. What's the difference between a spiritual teacher and a spiritual father? Well, the teachers are good because they give you information, but it's totally up to you whether you're teachable and you take that on board and apply it, whereas a spiritual dad's all about kind of living life together, letting you see their weaknesses, not sinning in front of you, but you know their weaknesses, they know yours, but you believe each other in spite of that. And, and I find what, what Brad said, it's one of the great truths I find in mentoring senior pastors around the state is... I rarely, rarely give any advice at all, but I listen 
and they tell me their story and they're known and they're understood and while they're talking, they get their revelations and answers. But it's almost like an impartation for me, but I didn't do anything. It's just sitting in the atmosphere of, um, I don't know, it's the synergy of father and son together. Just stuff comes out of that. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll just say three things because I've finished it because I'd like Brad to have some more time. Is that okay? Just yeah, it, about you're going to say something about spiritual son. Though. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just I, because I've watched Mark be an amazing spiritual son to Kevin Brett, and some it's not easy always being a spiritual son because you disagree and you see see you you're close to them, so yeah. you see their weaknesses, but. You've been able to be a good spiritual dad, Mark. Yeah. Because you've been such a good spiritual son, and yet you had a difficult dad yeah. in the natural. So just I was tell at us. A, I was at a national key leaders thing once with the, you know some of the top guys around the nation, and I was the inexperienced one in the room. But I said this statement, and Brad loves this too, because we found it to be true. Good sons make the best fathers. And when I learnt that and got a hold of that, it was something God showed me, and it helped me through a challenge with my dad. But I made up my mind then never to speak against my, my senior pastor, no matter what, that I would rather leave the organisation if I couldn't come under, um, do you know what I mean, rather than, than speak against him, because he was the one that had believed in me when no one else did. So I just think that sums it up, Ros, being a good son. And you, you just have to do that out of your relationship with God, I think. Yeah. So let yeah. me ask Brad that question yeah. and then yeah. back over yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah. And to, what's one bit of good advice Mark Zare's given you, Brad? I was thinking that, Zare. It's been a lot. Most of it's sport <laughs> and life. Uh, <laughs> it's less about what a spiritual father says and more about what they impart um, and, and how you feel. But I would say there's one piece of advice that you gave me. And again, you never remember any words you give. It was in this church in, in our old building and you, were, you gave me a word from the front which has totally shaped my leadership approach. He said, Brad, it's not about what am I going to teach. The question is not what am I going to teach, it's where am I going to lead people to. Yeah. And that shaped everything. But you're a teacher too. Yeah. so that yeah, yeah. It was such a good yeah. thing. So you know, that, was, that was quite pivotal to hear that. So, yeah. so now, Mark, your three things. Three things. Even though I'm a spiritual dad, you need to understand this. I would not give up my son for God, but he gave up his son for me. So there's a big difference, and I need him because of that, and I need his love because of that. Um, so I have weaknesses. Dad, dads have weaknesses. Um, second thing, don't get your personal value mixed up with your organisational value, you know, in your work or in your church or in your community or your club or what, wherever it is you have belonging. Um, because you'll always be undervalued organisationally. <laughs> always. It's just how it is. But your personal value is based on who you are in Christ and who you are to God. So just be wary of that because a lot of people I see in ministry get their identity mixed up with the position they hold or whatever it is. But it, you can't have it based in that. Otherwise, you lose all your value when you get sacked or the job doesn't work like and that's just not true. You have incredible value. And maybe that's what dads are on the earth for, to remind you of that. When you, when you lose other stuff, to go, no, you've still got value. And uh, I, I think that's important. Last thing, quick story. You ready? Bad story. It's rough. But it's got three great analogies out of it, three lessons. On a farm, there's a duck. It's freezing cold because winter is coming, but he goes, I'm not flying north for winter. I like it here. 
He stays and four weeks later, it's more freezing and he decides, he changes his mind and heads off. But his wings freeze when he gets up into the air and he crashes to the ground as if dead. A cow comes over and poos on him. It warms him up and saves his life. Quack, quack. A cat hears the quacks, comes over, cleans off all the poo and eats the duck. But here's some good life lessons. Number one, the person who poos on you probably isn't out to kill you. So we just have to learn to cope with that in life because that's going to happen. Number two, the person who is nice to you may not want what is best for you. Have you ever had people butter you up to get stuff out of you and then get really angry with you when you don't cooperate with what they want out of you? And number three, so sometimes the person that disagrees with you is actually more, and Proverbs talks about this a lot, is actually been more of a friend to you than the person who just agrees with you all the time. Um, and the last one, I like this the most. And I need, I'm a whinger, so I whinge a lot. So I need to learn this. Sometimes when you're covered in crap or manure, it's better to keep quiet and just grow because manure is a great fertiliser. Sometimes it's just life's hard. Don't whinge too much like me. Don't be like me. <laughs> but grow. Grow while it's going on because they're the times you'll grow the most in your life and that's what gives you what you need for success. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.